There are some things that do not belong together. Sometimes they're fine separately, but they're gross when you bring them together. So for example, I polled some of our staff and I said, what are some food items that are fine separately, but really gross when mixed? And here's some of the responses I got. So take your cereal, pour apple cider vinegar on it. What? What? I like that. No, that's disgusting, right? How about this one? Pickles and peanut butter. That's gross. That's disgusting, right? Or how about tuna and marshmallows? I got you, right? Oh, that's just nasty, right? I'll give you one more. You take your ice cream and put mustard on top. Now, inevitably, whenever I do things like this, there's somebody out there going, oh, no, I do that. It's actually really good. No, it's not. You're an idiot. Okay, like that is disgusting, and you got to stop it. Stop it. That's gross, right? That's gross. In fact, to make the point, you know, we serve donuts out there. We cut them in half. Some of them are cream-filled. I thought, I'll scoop the cream out, fill it with mayonnaise. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then the kids would be crying, and the parents would be all upset. And so I'm like, not worth it. Not worth it. And make the point, not worth it. You get the idea. There are some things that are fine separately, but gross when combined. And that is what Paul is going to be talking about in the passage we are in today. We've been working our way through 2 Corinthians. We are now in chapter 6, and we pick it up here in verse 14. And he says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You can see it rolls over into chapter 7, verse 1 there. But when it started out in chapter 6, verse 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked. So he's talking about yokes. And we're like, what's that about? Yokes are in eggs. Is this about egging people's houses? (laughs) Oh, you know, like the rules, right? Like you can't egg Christian houses, but you can egg non-Christian. Or is it the reverse? No, you can egg both, just not in the same night. Okay, what is this about? That's obviously not what this is about. So before we try to apply what this means, we got to figure out what this means. And it's not about eggs. It is about this kind of yoke right here. This is a yoke. And it's used, of course, in farming. It's old school. Uh, But what you would do is you would yoke two animals together. One animal's head, this removes with a bolt, uh, gets locked in here. And another animal's head gets locked in here. And then you attach this ring here to a rope or something else. And it pulls a plow. It pulls a cart. 
And this is what Paul is referring to. Now, one of the things with a yoke like this is you can't yoke together two very different animals. If so, let's say you put like a really big, strong animal in this one and a small, weak little guy in this one, right? If you do, you're just going in circles the whole time, right? Or if one is pulling fast and the other slow, what will happen is it'll start to choke the animals. It'll hurt the animals. Or if the animals are too different, instead of doing the work of pulling like they're supposed to, what will happen is they'll just fight with each other, kicking and biting, and they're not getting the work done. And so this is a known principle. In fact, it's in the word of God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 10. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. They're unequally yoked. Now, of course, Paul is not talking about farming. He's talking about spiritual condition, that you shouldn't yoke a Christian and a non-Christian together. That's what he's talking about. And the reason why is because here's what happens when it comes to a yoke. In a yoke, you are stuck. You're not getting out. This thing is bolted on. You're stuck in that yoke. And if you're yoked to something that is unequal, that's going to affect your direction. And too bad, so sad, you're stuck in that yoke. You can't get out. So those are the two important issues with a yoke. I'm going to set this down because that thing's heavy. All right. So what I want to do then is I want to go back through that passage because it really, I put it up there in three chunks. It breaks down into three chunks. The first part is the command, and then Paul follows it with five rhetorical questions. The second part, Paul's going to give reasoning, and really he's going to do that by quoting from the Old Testament a lot. And then the third part is chapter 7, verse 1, and that's really the conclusion. That's the heart, the vision, the goal. So let's let's look at those three parts. I've already read it. I won't reread it. You can let your eyes skim over that. But this is where you have the command right out of the gates. And then he gives five rhetorical questions. They're rhetorical because the, the answer is obvious. It's like, the, duh, common sense. Of course not. You shouldn't combine these things. That's the point he's making. It's to say that one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. They, they don't go together. We're talking pickles and peanut butter here. This doesn't work. What he does is he talks about righteousness and lawlessness. If you have righteousness, you don't have lawlessness. If you have lawlessness, you don't have righteousness. They don't go together. He talks about light and darkness. If it's light out, it's not dark. If it's dark out, it's not light. They're, they're mutually exclusive. And then he talks about Christ and belly out. You know what Belial is, right? <laughs> so, of course, not. it's actually only used once in the New Testament. Belial is a Hebrew word that means worthless or destruction. And in Paul's day and age, the Judaism of his time used that word as a nickname for Satan. That's what they would have called Satan at times in his age. And the point is, you don't yoke Christ with Satan. Duh! That's common sense, right? Of course not. And then he slips in, believer and non-believer, right? Christian and non-Christian, right? And, and 
you're like, wait, what? That's on the list? Yeah, that's the point. This makes the list. And then he quickly moves on and says, uh, you don't put idols in the temple of God. Those don't mix. Those don't go together. And everybody would go, okay, yeah, no way. Obviously not. And so what Paul did is he built a list that everyone would obviously go, no doubt, those don't go together, much like I did at the beginning of the sermon. I gave you a list. And if I had slipped into that list, Christian and non-Christian, you go, wait, wait, what? That's on there? Yeah, that's the point. That's the point. Oh, it's like that? Yeah, it's like that. So that's the first section. And that was, you know, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 6, verses 14 through the beginning of 16. And then the second part of 16 through verse 18 is the second part for this morning. And that's where Paul starts giving some reasoning. Like, one of the reasons he gives is he says, listen, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you're a believer, you're in relationship with him, you understand you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. God no longer dwells in temples made by hands. He dwells in the life of a believer. You are his temple. Don't yoke his temple together with an idol. That's his point. And then what he does is he goes on to give a lot of references from the Old Testament. As we look at it, it looks like one quote. If you try to find that in the Old Testament, you won't. There's not one quote. This is a collection of several quotes from the Old Testament ganged together. Scholars bicker about exactly where it comes from because there's lots of options. This this stuff is all over the Old Testament, so it could be this one or that one. In any case, the basic idea is this. You belong to God. If you're a Christian, you belong to God, so quit yoking up with non-Christians. But here's how we, we get off track. Some of it's just how we, by the pattern of the world, how we make friends. When you were growing up, my guess is, most of your friends were based on location. Meaning, you went to the same school. You were in the same class. You were on the same team. They lived in your neighborhood. Maybe they lived right next door. Maybe it's a cousin, but listen, that's because you would go to family functions and they were right there. It's all based on location. You didn't graduate from that when you became an adult. We formed friendships at work, location, right? Or maybe the gym where you work out. Or maybe it's because that person's child is on the same soccer team as my kid, and so we sit on the sidelines right next to each other. That's location. What Paul is saying is when you become a Christian, there is such a profound change in your life that it hugely overshadows anything to do with location. And so we ought not make our friendships based on location, but based on faith. As a Christian, you went from darkness to light. You went from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ. You went from alienation from God to adoption by God. You are his son. You are his daughter. You're indwelt by the spirit. You're the temple of the spirit. This stuff is huge. So we no longer make, and I'm talking our most significant relationships. We no longer make those based on location. We make those based on faith. Jesus is everything. And he shapes our relationships. There's a guy named Philip Hughes that made this point. Here's what he said. The unbeliever's life is centered on 
himself, the believers on Christ. Now, I want to pause for a second because I would adapt this quote a little bit. I would say the believers should be centered on Christ, right? Because we're not perfect. Let's admit that, right? But here it is. The, the unbeliever's life is centered on self, the believers on Christ. The treasure of the one is here on earth, of the other in heaven. The values of the one are those of this world, of the other, those of the world to come. The believer seeks the glory of God, the unbeliever, the glory of man, glory of men. This is a profound difference. This impacts our relationships. We don't choose based on location, but based on faith, and it shapes our relationships. So what Paul is saying is don't be yoked together with somebody that is not going in the same direction as you are. And for a lot of us, we're not very familiar with farm equipment and yokes like that. But we know about cars, right? Know about cars? Have you heard of these things? Okay, you're familiar? All right. So listen, if you're going north and they're going south, don't get in the same car. You see, because when you're in the same car, you're stuck. That's the first thing of the yoke. You're stuck together. And it affects your direction. You can't go north and south at the same time, right? Don't lie to yourself. It doesn't work that way. Now, if you're a Christian, we we, as believers, we should love God. He is Lord. He influences our direction. We worship him. We serve him. Our life centers around him. We are living with eternity in mind, right? And listen, The car cannot be both driving toward God and away from God at the same time. The car can't be both controlled by God and not controlled by God at the same time. So don't yoke up. Don't get in the same car with a non-Christian. Okay, but let me give a little bit of balance in here. Because I want you to hear clearly what I said. I said, don't be yoked together with a non-Christian. I didn't say you couldn't be on the same farm. If you think about Deuteronomy chapter 22, it said don't yoke an ox and a donkey together. It didn't say they couldn't be in the same barn or in the same field. Just don't yoke them where you're stuck and it influences direction. So yes, you can have relationships with non-Christians, but understand We have a different authority structure in our life. We have different goals. We have different identity. We have different assumptions about life. We have a different direction that we are headed in. And so don't yoke up with them. Don't be stuck in commitments and covenants you can't get out of. And don't allow them to affect your direction. That makes sense. But you can be on the same farm. Jesus was. Our Lord, when he came, you know, he hung out a good bit of the time with sinners, with people that weren't actually following him, but they weren't in his inner circle, right? Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul assumes non-Christians come to Christian worship services. Same farm, that's okay. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul assumes that Christians are going to non-Christians' houses for dinner. Same farm, that's okay. You're not yoked. Or how about 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Here's what it says in verses 9 and 10. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. 
Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of this world. You would need to go off this farm. It's okay to be in the same world and on the same farm with them. Just don't yoke up with them. What he went on to clarify is the one he said, hey, don't associate with is the one who bears the name Christian, but they're in continued unrepentant sin. He says, don't associate with that. Not many sinners in this world. It's not surprising when non-Christians sin. Sinners sin. That's definitional. <laughs> That's, it's kind of in the title. You know, it's in it's job description, okay? That's not the problem. The problem is when one who takes on the name of Jesus is in a lifestyle of continued unrepentant sin. That's problem number one. And problem number two is when we allow non-Christians to influence our direction. That's the problem, right? But you can still hang out with non-Christians. This is not a call for a Christian ghetto or Christian bubble, or the holy huddle, isolationism. That's not what this is about, okay? Not at all. Instead, we're we're called to reach out to them. If you don't have relationships with non-Christians, let me ask you a question. How are you going to share the gospel with them? How are we going to be on mission together as we are this year? Of course we're supposed to be on the same farm, in the same barn with them, but not yoked. When you're yoked up together, you are stuck. You can't walk away. And they influence your direction. Don't do that. Now, hopefully you're, you're understanding the principle. The difficulty is in how to apply it. I am guessing this. If you've been around Christianity for very long, so far this morning, you've been hearing me say something about dating and marriage. Am I right? I said nothing about dating. I said nothing about marriage, and neither did Paul. Isn't that interesting, right? Like, if you think that's the application, you'll be really confused at this point. But that's the application we assume, and that's not it in the context of the letter. Paul's not talking about dating and marriage. What is he talking about? Well, he's been talking about having an eternal perspective and living with that in our life. He has been talking about the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. He's been talking about the hardships in his life as he ministers. He's been defending his apostleship to this ordinary church in Corinth. And he's been talking about the friction that he has in his relationship with the church in Corinth. And then he drops this passage that we're looking at this morning. You're like, where'd that come from? It makes complete sense if you understand that Paul is saying that his opponents that are causing problems in the church in Corinth and problems for him are likely unbelievers. Don't be yoked with them. Oh, 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 that's it. He's talking the primary application of this passage is in the context of church. Not the only application, the primary application. So what Paul is saying is those who are causing a problem in the church in Corinth are likely pagans or they're kind of got a foot on both sides. They're dabbling. They're trying to do syncretism to join Christianity and paganism or they're false false apostles. 
Now remember, it's totally okay that non-Christians come to church. That's not the problem. Here's the problem. Don't call non-Christians Christians just because they come to church. That's what he's saying. Just because somebody comes in here doesn't make them a Christian. Don't call them that. Quit pretending they're Christians. Also, don't welcome them into full membership of the church if they're not believers. There's a reason why at Redemption Chapel, to become a member of our church, we have a class where we go through our doctrinal statement. You have to agree with it. And then we also check your faith story so that we make sure you're doing Christianity, not churchianity, right? That you're actually a believer. So we don't yoke up with somebody who's not a Christian. And then, Lord, have mercy. Don't let non-Christians influence the direction of the church. Don't give them a microphone. Okay, in Corinth, they didn't have microphones. But they were likely giving them the floor to influence the believers there. And Paul's like, stop that. Don't be unequally yoked. And then you can take that into applications like, uh, don't do the interfaith stuff. Because on those platforms, you end up yoked to non-Christians and you end up muzzled because the direction is shifting. Like you end up muzzled. Don't be muzzled in what you can and can't say about spiritual things, about the things of our Lord. That's kind of the primary application. It's not the only application. Now I want to talk about the secondary application. So I'll spend a little bit more time on that because in the primary, most people are like, oh, amen, pastor, preach it. We get to the secondary ones and people are like, I don't know. Let's just take the broad principle. The broad principle is this. Any relationship where a Christian is yoked, not just on the same farm, where you are yoked together with a non-Christian, which means you are stuck and you can't walk away and they influence your direction. Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. And two common areas of secondary application. The first one is business. It's just business. I'm not saying that non-Christians and Christians can't work together. You can be on the same farm, in the same barn. You, many of you do. You work with non-Christians. That's okay. That's not what we're talking about. But it, the reason why, let me say this, is because if it starts to go sour and it's affecting your faith and you need to get out, you can. You can quit and get another job. I know that'll be hard, but Jesus first, Right? Okay, but what I'm talking about is business partnerships. You got to be careful of entering a business partnership because a lot of times in partnerships, you're yoked. You can't walk away. You can't quit. You are stuck. And that partnership will affect the direction of the business. So what about issues like generosity? Think about doing business. Generosity, mercy, grace, justice, integrity, honesty, giving glory to God, expanding the kingdom of God, using the Bible as your guide, doing godly conflict resolution. When you can't work it out, you're going to go to church authority to get help working it out with your business partner. A lot of you are like, oh, Lord, have mercy. That is not happening. Not with my business partner. Well, then you're probably yoked. We're talking peanut butter and pickles. We're talking tuna and marshmallows. These things are not meant to go together in that case. The point is, wherever you are stuck in a commitment that you can't get out of and it affects the direction, you are yoked. And the Bible is saying, don't do that with non 
Christians, with those who don't share your lordship in Jesus Christ. So yeah, there's a, there's a secondary application there. And now for the one you've all been waiting for. Let's talk about marriage. There's clearly an application here. Listen, marriage, marriage is a yoke. And this yoke is heavy. And I gotta tell you, it's chafing, right? No, <laughs> I just do that to make the rest of my day hard. You know, so when I get home, I'm gonna be in trouble. Uh, but, but I'll tell you this, joking aside, marriage is hard, right? Marriage is hard when you're married to a Christian, right? It's still hard and it's work because you're pulling, you're pulling a life and a family together. Like it is hard work. And I'll tell you what, marriage is a yoke because it's a covenant and you are stuck, stuck. You, according to the scriptures, you cannot end the marriage unless there's adultery or abandonment. That's it. So you're stuck, stuck. And so Paul's like, don't, don't do that with a non-Christian. Because listen, next to your relationship with Jesus Christ, no relationship is going to influence and affect your life more than marriage. It's hugely going to affect your direction. That is a yoke. So the Bible's clear. Christians don't marry non-Christians. Starts in the Old Testament where he tells the Jews repeatedly, don't marry non-Jews. It's not a racial issue. It's a religious issue because the Jews served the one true God, Yahweh. All the other people didn't. And as soon as they married them, they didn't come to Judaism, but people were led astray and they started worshiping idols. Don't yoke up with them, right? You're God's people. Then you come into the New Testament and you got 1 Corinthians 7.39 or 1 Corinthians 9.5. You can look them up later. And the Bible's clear. Christians should only marry Christians. Why? Well, while there is rare exceptions, very rare exceptions, the principle usually goes like this. You don't drag them up. They drag you down. That's usually what happens. Or you stay the course with Christ, but it it becomes really tough, a lot more difficult, very difficult. And if you don't believe me, more often than not, it's a woman who's a believer married to a man who's not. There are exceptions that are reversed, no doubt. But I'm just talking the, the predominant. If you don't believe me, I'd be glad to have you sit down with one of the people in our congregation who's married to a non-Christian, and they would gladly tell you, don't do it. Lord, have mercy. Do not do it. It's hard. It's tough. But maybe I can help you get at it this way. How would you like to go through life handcuffed to a corpse? A dead body. You know, weekend at Bernie's? Yeah, this is your life, people, all right? Because here's the thing. Spiritually speaking, Christians are alive. Spiritually speaking, non-Christians are dead. And in the yoke, that's a handcuff. You're going to go through life handcuffed, dragging around a spiritually dead body. That doesn't sound like a fun plan to me. Listen, it is better to be single and yoked to Jesus than married and yoked to a non-Christian. Say, well, okay, but that's, that's marriage. What about dating? What, I guess it's just dating. It's not marriage. Understand this. You got to date who you will marry because you will marry who you date. You say it again. You got to date who you will marry because you will marry who you date. And so if you are flirting with dating a non-Christian, I've got three questions for you to consider. Number one, 
Who are you? Like down deep, like your identity, who are you? If you are a Christian, you are saying your ultimate reality, your eternal life, your purpose, your meaning, your mission, it's all based on Jesus. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God. And the truest thing about you is that you are a daughter of the king. You are a son of God. And that's going to be true for all eternity. And then the person you're considering dating is looking at all that and saying, heart pass. Nope. Man, you got to steep in your identity, who you are. Remember who you are. But don't date somebody who's saying no to all that. Who are you? Second question is this. What attracts you? Or who attracts you? If you're attracted to a non-Christian, catch this, you are attracted according to the pattern of a fallen world. There's no way around that. Obviously, you're not attracted according to the pattern of Jesus. The person's a non-Christian. Again, that's by definition. It's just common sense. There's no way you are spiritually attracted to them. What's probably happened is you're attracted according to the pattern of the world, and then you're looking at them going, oh, they went to church, Christmas and Easter. but you're attracted according to the pattern of the world. Let's be honest. And that's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is this. We want, look for somebody that loves Jesus as much or more than you. Loves Jesus more than the person would love you. So look for a person that is dripping with grace, a recipient of grace, an avalanche of grace has crushed their life wonderfully. They're in a relationship with Jesus. They're growing in a relationship with Jesus. They're a disciple, not a consumer. Look for somebody who's committed to expanding Christ's kingdom, gives, serves. Somebody who's in Christian community, loves the word, loves prayer. Somebody that would help you become more of a disciple, would grow in Christ because you're dating. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. Somebody that you could see yourself serving God together with that person from your home and your family, from your marriage. That's what you want. Listen, Jesus is either important to you or he's not. It can't be both. And if he is important to you, then if he's your Lord, then you really shouldn't be attracted to a non-Christian. And if you are dating a non-Christian, then you might need to have a moment of honesty with God this afternoon that maybe Jesus really isn't as important to you as you thought. That'll be between you and God. But you got to ask yourself, what attracts you? And then thirdly, what does your future look like? Because I fear you're being short-sighted. You're you're making emotional decisions. You're not looking down the road. Because it's just dating, right? Okay, right. After dating comes marriage. After marriage comes kids. Here's the question. Are you going to raise your kids in the faith? Oh, you're assuming you will. You just married a non-Christian. That's not a given. And even if, let the typical gender again, she's a believer, he's not, right? So even if he permits you to take the kids to church, they go home and they're influenced by him all the time. You're being short-sighted, right? And you'll have the same tensions because you're yoked together, it affects direction. Okay, what about things flowing out of your marriage partnership? Things like generosity, mercy, grace, 
justice, honesty, integrity, expansion of the kingdom of God, living for the glory of God, the Bible as your guide, humility, conflict resolution, submitting to church authority. Jettison it all. It's not a part of your marriage. I think you're being short-sighted. Or just say, well, 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 I'll I'll lead them to Jesus. (laughs) That's sweet. God bless you. You just got to know missionary dating, I mean, check the statistics, doesn't work. Oh, rare exceptions, I get it. But play the number, it is a myth. Usually, you don't drag him up, he drags you down. And I've seen it happen over and over where he's kind of, again, it switches genders at times, but just roll with me. He's pretending to be into Jesus because he's, wants to date this hot Christian girl and, and she, he knows she'll only date a Christian. So he's going to church and as soon as they break up, he's done with Jesus. Drops Jesus like a bad habit. It's just dating. It's not marriage again. You're being short-sighted. Let me tell you your future. I'm not a prophet, but I play one on TV. No, that's not true. But um, let me tell you your future, okay? Here's how this works out. Over the years, you become so emotionally and romantically infused with that non-Christian that when marriage comes on the table, you just give in. You jettison biblical wisdom, you disobey the scriptures, you rationalize, you justify, and you just go with your feelings and you make a covenant of marriage with a non-Christian. And I'll tell you what, you will agree with me that it's a bad idea. It's only a matter of how much pain you have to go through first. Will you agree before marriage or after? You'll agree. God would save you the pain. God would save you the pain. And don't hate the messenger, people. Okay? Don't hate the messenger. You're grown. You get to make your own choices. But your choices have consequences. You make your choices, and then your choices make you. You make your choices, and then your choices make you. But I want you to know this. Hear this really clearly. This is all about God loves you. God loves you so much. You're focused on your feelings about how you feel about this person. God is looking at 80 years of your life on earth and all your eternity. That's what he cares about. He's trying to give you the best life possible. And your emotions are fighting really hard against God providing for you so that you can get second best. And it's a way distant second. Isn't that crazy? But that's what we all do in some way, shape, or form. God wants so much more. For you. For you. Now, let me ask you, some of you have disengaged. I want to ask you to re-engage. Because you're like, some of you are like, I'm not yoked to a non-Christian. I hate flirting with it. It's never going to happen. This has nothing to do with my life. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And here's why. Even if it's not a person, a lot of us, we as Christians are yoked together with the world. And we're, we're stuck in a relationship with the world and we're letting the world influence our direction. This has to do with all of us. And Paul brings that home in this very last verse here, chapter seven, verse one. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the goal. This is the heart. This is the vision for all of us, 
for all of us. And notice it's based on promises, not curses. God's not trying to jack with your life. God's trying to give you life. These are promises. What were the promises? It was the Old Testament stuff. That you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. You're the temple of God. That, that he dwells with us. He is our God. He's our Father. You're his daughter. You're his son. He welcomes us into eternity. This is not curses. This is promises. These are awesome. And so Paul's solution Check this out. Paul's solution is that you cleanse your heart. You cleanse your life. Notice, Paul. what Paul doesn't say is, hey, you know what? Y'all go ahead. Keep being yoked to the world. Keep a defiled heart. But get rid of the non-Christian. No, what he says is, if you cleanse your heart, you steep and lean into your identity, who you are in Jesus. You grow as a disciple. You're not going to want to be yoked together with a non-Christian. That's how you solve it. Not that you get rid of the non-Christian, but keep your, your nasty heart. And when he tells us to cleanse ourselves, that assumes all of us need that. Because we're not, we're a mess, right? We're not perfect. We're a best in process. And that's okay. But let there be repentance so that we keep growing, so that we keep going. Chapter 7, verse 1 is for all of us whether you're flirting with dating a non-Christian or not, right? And so have you nailed chapter 7, verse 1? No way. So here's my question. What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do this summer so that you move forward in discipleship, so that you lean into, you steep in your identity as a child of the king, and so that you bring Holiness to completion in the awe of God, in the lordship to God, in in the fear of God. Bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. What will you do this week? What will you do this summer? Let me pray for that. Father in heaven, we come before you right now as people that we admit uh, (laughs) we definitely need uh, to, to grow in this to cleanse our hearts. For we have at the very, very least yoked up with the world at times. And I do pray for our single folks who uh, flirt with yoking up with non-Christians. I know that that can be a temptation. That's a hard one. They don't want to be alone. Lord, I pray that all of us would be glad to be in the yoke with Jesus and that would come before anything and everything. And so help us all grow and bring holiness to completion as we fear you, as we are in awe of you and love you, submit to your lordship. Take us there, Lord, please, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.